Hello, and welcome to Breadcrumbs, a podcast brought to you by Trace Labs. Our mission here is to deliver OSINT for everyone. We hear from community leaders, industry experts, and everyday people about the tools, topics, and techniques that will make your OSINT collection better. Thank you all for joining us tonight or this morning or this afternoon. It looks like we've got a worldwide audience. That's super exciting. I think that's representative of the OSINT community in general. Uh, we all live lots of different places. We all live lots of different lives, but we're all passionate about some of the same things. So it's always exciting for me to see us come together uh, and just spend a few hours like, like we're about to do right now. So why are we here? What is the purpose of tonight? As you may have gleaned from the webinar title, we're going to be talking about sock puppets. Um, but that's such a, such a broad idea or such a broad subject. And you can approach it from a number of different ways. And for a person, especially just starting out, it can be super overwhelming. Um, you might just find like one tutorial and think like that's the only one you have to do exactly what they're saying. Um, the point of this panel discussion is we pull people from different walks of life, different places in the industry uh, or not in the industry in the case of me, and put us all together to just talk through sock puppets. We all have different opinions, different use cases. Um, and by having this discussion, I think we're gonna give you the best possible survey of socks, sock creation, sock maintenance, sock troubleshooting, as is humanly possible in two hours. So that's the, uh, that's the official reason for why we're here. The unofficial reason is incredibly selfish. Um, you've probably seen me human decoded in the Slack channel. Uh, I do my best to answer a lot of sock puppet questions. Uh, so tonight we invited the entire internet to our webinar. And I'm assuming after tonight, I won't have to answer any more questions. So cool. Yeah, it looks like the entire internet showed up. That's amazing. Uh, well, good deal. So I'm just gonna go around the room. Uh, we're gonna get to meet each one of our panelists and kind of get their sort of view on socks. Alex, we will start with you. What kind of socks do you wear? Yeah, so the socks that I wear or that I use, um, most of them are not for you know, actively doing the research, um, but a lot of them are for um, my role with Trace Labs, vetting the intelligence that comes in, just having something to look at all the information that gets submitted uh, during our Trace Labs competitions. Um, the socks that I've had in the past, I've had for uh, for some research purposes, just to to kind of look passively uh, and gather intelligence. And uh, that was before joining up on the the Trace Lab side. Excellent, Alith. What kind of socks do you wear? I actually have a variety of different colors. <laughs> so I, um, I actually have multiple reasons for socks. Uh, the first reason was that I do a lot of competitive intelligence and research uh, in the course of my day job. And so I have a, a number of different socks on certain platforms that rat you out <laughs> when you look at other people's profiles um, so that I can kind of distance myself and my company from that research. Um, and then I also have socks that are more fun <laughs> in nature, more colorful, um, that I use for the Trace Labs OSINT CTFs and various other types of CTFs where OSINT is needed, like the SECTF and some other stuff. And I will have you know, I have some pretty old socks 
some that have been around uh, for a number of years now. Um, and I don't know how they managed to stay alive, to be quite frank. Um, but those are the main, main two reasons I have them. Excellent. And we were having this discussion before the webinar started. Um, the best piece of SOC advice I can give is just get in early on any platform. You know, Facebook cared a lot less 15 years ago than they do today. <laughs> cool. Wei Leong, what kind of socks do you wear? Um, so like these days, um, my socks are usually used for brand reputation monitoring, um, maybe copyright infringement type of stuff. Um, and my main work is mostly cyber threat intelligence. So that's another set of socks that actually go into the forums to do like research on like maybe the marketplaces, the trending malwares and things like that. Yep. So those are types of socks that I am working with. Fantastic. And Jake, finally, what kind of socks do you wear? Well, I try to not wear socks at all. <laughs> no. Um, so what I use socks usually for in my work is I'm doing a lot of dissecting and, and breaking down social media platforms for data collection. Um, and I use a lot of different socks to kind of log into profiles, um, you know, or log into social media platforms to see how the behavior of the platform works on and off, whether you're logged in, whether you're not. Additionally, I, I use them more actively in, in open source intelligence investigations, doing some more active um, investigations, which we'll talk about later in the webinar, kind of actually doing user engagement, building out personas and, and, and doing things like that. So it's a combination of both, both passively and actively. Excellent. And um, a theme that I'm going to try to carry throughout the entire webinar is um, just kind of summarizing at different points in our conversation. So what I just heard was a lot of amazing things. Um, sock puppets are kind of running the gamut from just protecting yourself and your real identity because, you know, for example, LinkedIn will rat you out if you're, you know, view, viewing profiles. So it can be there. It can be um, someone mentioned competitive intelligence. Um, it's a way to keep an eye on different parts of an industry or an organization or even an entire nation um, and not give away who you are. But then it can, it can also be used from almost more of a dev side. Like I think Jake was, was talking about just understanding, you know, the mechanics of a platform. So cool. This, this is going to be really, really good. <clears throat> um, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar it's probably worth laying out a couple definitions. A sock puppet, um, simplest way I can explain it is it's an alternate social media account, um, for lack of a better explanation. Um, it's an account that you're going to be setting up on a social media platform that, in theory, would be difficult to connect back to you. And we'll be touching later on in the webinar some some ways you can do that, or even is it even necessary to do that? But it's just an alternate social media account that you're going to be using for any number of reasons. And now it's time for a disclaimer before we actually get into the talk. Um, we're going to be giving you all some pretty powerful tools and some pretty powerful advice over the course of, of this two-hour conversation. And we are trusting all of you to use that responsibly. So every use case that our panelists just mentioned is a legitimate and legal use case for sock puppets. Um, sock puppets could also be used to get up to some pretty bad stuff. I'm not going to give you a list of bad behaviors to engage in. 
but I am going to tell you right now, use this information that we're giving you for good. Use it responsibly. Um, it is a powerful tool in your toolbox, and I don't want to see anyone here misusing it. If you're ever not sure, like, hey, this is kind of a gray area, ask somebody. Jump in our Slack. Jump in somebody else's Slack. If you're ever questioning, you know, the ethics or the legalities of what you're doing, please reach out to someone who's an expert in one of those fields. Hashtag not a lawyer. Um, so that's my disclaimer. We're going to jump into the talk now and we're going to get started. Um, <clears throat> Alith is going to actually kick us off. And I call, I call this section, filling up your sock drawer. Um, she's she's going to be touching on general account creation strategies. So how she approaches uh, creating an account. I'm sure we all know how difficult Facebook can be. Um, so she's going to go through the way she approaches it from before she even you know, creates a burner email. Just how, how does she go about account creation? The other, other panelists are going to weigh in along the way and feel free to drop questions in the Q&A. Alith, take it away. Of course. So I'm excited to get started with this. What I refer to as my sock drawer is actually a CRM. And if, for those of you who are not familiar with a CRM, it's a customer relationship management piece of software or an application that most of the time salespeople use to keep track of their contacts and to remind them to follow up with them. There are a bunch of different CRMs that are available for free 99 on the interwebs. Um, so you can do your best to Google free CRM and find one that you like and that works for you. They are all essentially a Rolodex. So there's nothing fancy, it just whatever is this, aesthetically pleasing and fits your budget is perfect. And you're gonna use this piece of software to store each one of your socks. And you don't have to have hundreds of socks, so I'm not encouraging you to create a bunch, but this is going to help you to keep track of your sock puppets' names, their email addresses, their accounts where they have profiles, their login credentials for those accounts, and any details about that person that you've come up with, their profile pictures, anything specific to that persona or that character that you're creating that you're going to create your uh, fake or alternate social media accounts with. Um, your sock account can absolutely have more than one social media presence. Um, and because it is such a pain to come up with unique email accounts and uh, burner cell phone numbers and things like that, um, I would encourage you to let your sock puppets have accounts on more than one platform. Um, so for example, I may have only five different characters, but each one of those uh, contacts in my CRM actually has a Twitter account, an Instagram account, a LinkedIn, and a Facebook, for example. And that right there is creating 20 accounts using only five people's information. And to create those people, I would recommend creating a unique and entirely separate from any of your email accounts, email addresses. Um, typically what I use is Google because it's super easy to spin up a new Gmail account. And so I will create a Gmail account first, and then I will use that to create any other profile 
and build up my person's existence from that Gmail account. Um, this is, of course, my method, and there are many methods that work, but this is the one that works for me. And until it stops working, this is what I'm going to use. <laughs> um, I will go on uh, eBay and I will purchase a used um, and not caring about the condition or anything, but I will grab a used device on eBay. And this is just a, a cheap um, Android device. And then I will purchase a SIM card from a prepaid place. Um, you can register for SIM cards and subscriptions to uh, you know, prepaid wireless services through companies like Mint Mobile, it's M-I-N-T Mobile. Um, and you can also pick up the seven day trial for a Mint Mobile account from Amazon if you're weary about putting your credit card details in and, and putting your personal name and uh, attaching that to a subscription service with a company like Mint. There are many alternatives out there, you know, track phone idea, but essentially what you're trying to come up with is a non voice over IP phone number. And I put the number on a label on the back of the device so that I don't have to remember it or write it down somewhere. It's right here. Um, I have about five or six burner phones that I maintain. Um, sometimes I don't <laughs> remember to add money to the account, so I have to reactivate them when I forget to do that. But uh, having the number on the device really helps. And then putting that phone number and associating it to one of your socks uh, will help you to keep your identities separate and straight in your mind. And that's another good reason to have that CRM account. Um, once I have the burner phone number, it's a lot easier to create accounts, uh, for example, on LinkedIn, and uh, various other platforms, they'll require you now to add a mobile number. Facebook is pretty particular these days. And the reason why I had to switch over to a physical burner device with a actual SIM card is because voice over IP phone numbers were getting flagged as voice over IP, for example, Google Voice, and the platforms were no longer accepting those numbers as a means of verification or validation that you're a real person. Um, so those are my initial steps. And once I have the email address, phone number, and the basic identity, now I figure out what that person, what my goal is for that person. If it's something where I'm going to be using it for competitive intelligence, I typically make my sock puppet an attractive female recruiter because everybody accepts invitations from attractive female recruiters. Also, when you're looking at other people's profiles, nobody's going to bat an eye at a recruiter looking at their profile versus, say, somebody in the industry that they work in and wondering if maybe they're looking at them for a, pot a potential job or something like that, or just spy on them. <laughs> so recruiter on LinkedIn, that's my go-to. Um, for Facebook, I generally stick with, um, you know, younger uh, profile images, and there's a variety of ways that you can source profile images. I'm sure many many of the other panelists will have many other ideas about how to do that. You can use fake people pictures and you can use existing people pictures. And my preference is to use real people. Um, and I know that that's kind of some gray area in some people's opinions, but if your picture is publicly out there on the internet, then I think that's just an assumed risk. Um, so just be careful about what pictures you choose. If you choose to do the AI generated pictures, make sure that they look like people. <laughs> I know that that sounds crazy, but some of them don't. 
um, and you know, looks fine from afar, but not not fine up close. Um, and so once I have that person created and I have them in my CRM, that's when uh, we go to the next phase. And I think I'll kick it over to the next panelist to dive in there. Very good. <clears throat> A plus for the transition, by the way, that was, that was awesome. Um, so what I heard you say was before you even get started, like organization is key, having a way to keep track of all these people you're creating, all these numbers that you're trying to juggle, all these email addresses, like just having Passwords. A, yes. <laughs> so having a system that works for you is going to be critical, especially as you get into more than one or two sock puppets. Um, and just Absolutely. Giving, and it sounds like like any other form of OSID, it sounds like pre-work is probably key. The more you put in at the beginning, the less heartache you're going to have trying to fight Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn down the road. Yes, Very absolutely. Good. Very good. And um, it sounds like everything starts with an email and a phone. Um, and then from there is where account creation kind of flows down. So you'd mentioned Gmail. Um, are there any other platforms you've had success with or is Gmail pretty much the go-to? Gmail's the one that I've had the best luck with as far as being able to set up accounts that I can use to open up other social media and then also keep in. Um, so for example, I'll have the Gmail app and with Android, it just it's so easy just to keep everything with Google because it's already basically set up in the phone. Um, so I'll have the Gmail account on the phone that I set up for that person. And, and I essentially treat this like my alter ego's phone. So everything on this phone is only for that sock puppet. Um, and sometimes I will use the same number for, uh, you know, a spare sock puppet. Um, so it, it doesn't mean, I mean, I don't mean you have to use one number for each person, but what I do mean is if you are logging into the phone, um, or into any apps on the phone using your own personal credentials for any of your own profiles, that's not a burner phone. <laughs> so you wanna make sure that you don't log into anything that's yours on these devices. Um, and if you're able to just add the, the Gmail account on there to an Android phone, it just, it, the continuity makes it easy to keep track of. Um, but ProtonMail and you know, a variety of other, there's a variety of other free email providers out there that you can try. Very good, very good. Um, before we jump into maybe the pitfalls and obstacles and ways to get around that, I'll open it up to the panelists. Anything else to add to Elise's strategy or any, any system or any organizational tool that works for you, a platform you found useful? Just anything to add there? Um, I, I think for myself, like as an organization tool, I actually use a, like a password manager that's uh, like a Chrome extension to my browser. Okay, uh, so like LastPass or... Um, yeah, Okay. LastPass. Yeah. yeah, I have a separate thing on, on LastPass. And another question that, or, or discussion that I had for Elise is, um, what connection are you setting these up on? Um, I, I asked that because for me, I, I like to do the uh, visit your local library uh, and use their <laughs> wireless for just doing some of these account creations because it's not going to flag a library for you're you're probably the 50th person that's created an account at that library this week so it's not you know it's not going to get flagged i didn't know if you had any advice or take on that sure yeah i um i've 
I've done these a variety of different ways. Um, I've set them up using my work computer. I've set them up using my personal computer, but I would say that the one way that gets flagged least often, um, especially if I forget to log back into that Gmail account after a while, um, is actually using the device to create the account. Um, and that's another way that you can kind of make it easier for yourself as far as keeping track of stuff is I will literally use this device with my brand new SIM card in it to then uh, go into the Gmail app and then create an account and then just go out from there. Then uh, if I wanna have a Snapchat account for that sock or I wanna have a Facebook account for that sock, I'll use the phone to create those accounts and the Gmail's already logged in. So everything thinks that you know, I'm a real person with a real phone that has all these accounts already logged in and then just goes, yep, you're real, we're good. And it'll allow me to set up all those accounts with the, the information that's already in the phone. Very good. And that is an excellent segue into mm -hmm. our next our next section. Um, <clears throat> so to kind of set up this next section, um, we are setting up, for lack of a better word, fake accounts on these social media platforms. So let's take a step back and look at things from the platform point of view. And once you start thinking like Facebook or thinking like Twitter, a lot of this stuff is going to make sense and you're going to be able to troubleshoot things that you know, maybe we just don't cover here. So if you're Facebook, um, you make all your money off advertising. It's in your best interest to get as many users on that platform as possible being exposed to that advertising, so you sell more advertising. That's their entire business. So in a lot of ways, they've made it incredibly easy for a person to set up an account. Um, Elise hit on this when she mentioned by logging in from your, like, from your Android device, um, Facebook wants you to stay logged in or you know, they want to give you access to the platform. So when you start thinking about it from Facebook's point of view, okay, this, this kind of starts to make sense. Um, but then to flip that, they want real individuals that are going to be clicking on advertising, that are going to be buying products, engaging with content that other people are sponsoring. Um, so they do have an interest in weeding out, you know, people setting up fake accounts um, or, you know, people like looking at it from a money-making point of view, like they don't want someone with a botnet setting up 10,000 Facebook profiles just to click on something that they're getting, you know, paid the ad dollars from. Um, so they, 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 they do have a business interest in making sure that everyone signing up for an account is a legit human being that is at the very least going to make them some money. So I think looking at it through that lens is really going to drive this next part of the conversation, which talks about obstacles. Um, any of us that have tried to make a sock puppet have hit them? Oh, we're sorry. Your account has been flagged for violation of terms of service. Like I just hit submit. That's all I did. How is that a violation? Um, so Facebook is the most notorious for this. Uh, most of the other platforms are pretty doable, um, at least in my experience. Oh, and also I should say, um, my experience is entirely like the US and the Western part of the world. Um, so I'm sure there are social media platforms in other parts of the world that I have no experience with. Um, maybe our other panelists can speak to maybe some, some more popular social media in other parts of the world. 
Um, but with that said, I'm going to kick it over to Wei Leong, and he's going to talk us through um, obstacles and ways that he's found to get around those obstacles. Take it away. Yep. Thanks, Tom. Yep. So I think like we've mentioned earlier that the setup is very important. So if you manage to get like one foot through like a social media platform, uh, like Facebook or LinkedIn, uh, you're, you're pretty much good. All you have to do is just wait and don't do anything stupid to the to your accounts and it won't get burned. Um, yeah, but there are, uh, at least in my experience, uh, quite a few um, strategies that uh, you can deploy. Uh, the first one I always tell people is that, uh, yes, there are free options like emails uh, and stuff like that out there. Uh, but if you're serious about getting into like this whole OSINT investigation thing, don't be cheap. I mean, you can pick up free stuff like um, free voice over IP numbers and stuff like that. Uh, but as uh, Alif has uh, mentioned just now that they simply don't accept uh, those kind of numbers anymore. Uh, yeah, because they probably have a list. Uh, and actually in the chat, I've interestingly, I've seen quite a few uh, mentions of VPN. Um, so uh, frankly speaking, in my experience, if you use VPN to sign up for an account, it's an instant flag for most of the social media platforms. And as Tom mentioned just now, like you literally just clicked submit and they tell you that they have to verify your account. Uh, I mean, if it's a phone number, it's fine. But if they ask you to submit a photo, uh, it's back to the drawing board again uh, to set up a new account. Um, okay, so uh, to get to the point, um, apart from having a, uh, apart from the IP address, uh, which can be solved using proxies, so there are residential and uh, mobile proxies that are available for like rent, purchase. Um, if you are really concerned uh, or the nature of your investigation uh, needs you to hide your location and stuff because you're gonna visit somebody's website and then the website would log your IP address, stuff like that. Uh, you could use a VPN first and then make a second hop to a mobile proxy. So when uh, the website or wherever that you're visiting logs the mobile proxy IP address instead of your original uh, IP or the, v the IP of your VPN, which if it's a social media platform, it might get you blocked or uh, ask for verifications. Uh, yeah, so like, especially the mobile proxies, they are really handy. I've tried to like uh, create an account using my desktop, uh, using my browser on my desktop, uh, connect it to the mobile proxy browser. I changed the user agent of my browser to a mobile browser. And Facebook actually just let me, just let me through uh, because it just assumes that you are a mobile device. Uh, you're using a handphone and it will just let you through without uh, verification. Uh, so that's one part. Uh, that's one strategy that uh, you can uh, use. Uh, I'm not saying that it will work 100% of the time, uh, but yeah, it works at least for me most of the time. Uh, 
Um, so reason why I have to go through all this uh, trouble instead of just getting like a burner SIM card or burner phone uh, is because uh, I'm from Singapore and everything is tracked. Yeah, uh, you can't get anything legal without getting tracked. Yeah, so uh, that's why we tend to have to like go about uh, all these uh, methods to, uh, to be able to create a good sock puppet. Okay, so uh, IP is, uh, sorry, your IP is one thing and your email address uh, plays a big part. Uh, so like for the marketing people out there who are in uh, this webinar today, uh, you know that when you're setting, uh, sending out marketing emails, you need to have a provider with a good IP reputation. Yeah. So if you have a good IP reputation, uh, chances are your email address will not get flagged. Yeah. So sometimes what I do is that uh, I will purchase a domain name together with um, an email account attached to it uh, using Bitcoin. Yeah. So uh, whenever you use Bitcoin, uh, you can just provide uh, contactable information to the person that is selling the service to you. Uh, and then you can set up your email address. Uh, if there's an option to get a premium DNS, uh, like a premium IP address, uh, I would suggest that get that. Um, in fact, like just 10 minutes ago, I actually used uh, one of those emails to just sign up for Facebook. And I immediately got through without any verification. Yeah, because it was, uh, I checked the IP, apparently it's like a high IP reputation, uh, high reputation IP. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely works. Yeah, uh, reason I had to do it like 10 minutes ago is uh, because I think most of us in the panel, our soft puppets have been around for like years. And uh, yeah, because we started early, we didn't really have the need to uh, create uh, new sock puppets in recent times. Um, okay, so next thing that I'm gonna touch on is uh, SIM cards. Um, yeah, if you're from the US, congratulations. You don't have to go through like all the trouble <laughs> that we have to go to, uh, go through. Um, so whenever I'm in the US for like work or I'm traveling, I would have a few day at Walmart yeah, uh, just grabbing like SIM cards uh, and just uh, making sock puppets using those numbers. Um, but some of them don't really survive after a while because um, yeah, it comes back to haunt you for like, oh, can we verify uh, through your mobile number that you registered with us? Then pretty much uh, dead in your tracks. Um, so when it comes to SIM cards, um, tra traveler SIM cards is good idea to get. Uh, I mean, those cards, you can buy it online. You technically don't have to provide any like personal particulars. Um, if you have friends visiting from overseas, get them to buy the traveler SIM cards for you. Um, because I mean, like in Singapore, if you buy in a local shop, you probably have to provide your passport. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, unless you're doing something malicious with the number, I 
don't see how you would get your friends into trouble. Um, yeah, and there are still many ways, uh, which I'm sure uh, our attendees, <coughs> if you search hard enough, you'll be able to find many other ways uh, to get SIM cards if your country actually uh, tracks it very tightly. Um, yeah, and the last thing I want to mention is yeah, your VM setups. So, I mean, I have a few types of VM setups. Like if I'm just going in to take a quick look at things, I would actually just, uh, I have one VM for that and I'll just have my spare socks in and just take a quick look. And for like a dedicated uh, investigation, I actually have uh, dedicated uh, virtual machines for each sock that I have. I mean, if I foresee that it's gonna be a long-term investigation, uh, I keep all the details into that one virtual machine uh, to make sure that when I open up my last pass, I don't accidentally key in some other socks, um, username and password uh, into Facebook or whatever, then it sort of like taints uh, the sock puppet. So um, yeah, I guess that's uh, pretty much from me. Uh, Panelists, you guys want to uh, chime in on this? Yeah, um, that was amazing. Like that was all just no, no joke. Like that was all brand new stuff to me. And it, it, when you talk through it, it all makes sense. Um, just to kind of recap um, what I think you were trying to get across, there are a number of different things that identify you when you're trying to create an account. So someone like Facebook, they're seeing the IP address that you're connecting from. Um, and that, but that IP address, like you said, is just the last hop. So if you're going through a VPN, they're seeing the VPN's IP address and that can just be on their bad list. Um, but if you're, if you're going VPN proxy, um, they're just gonna see, be seeing that proxy's IP address. And as long as that's a either a a reputable, um, you know, IP block or just a not bad one, um, the odds of you getting through are probably pretty good there. Um, but then they're, they're also seeing, you referred to user agent, um, Facebook sees a lot of information about the system that it thinks that you're using and that, that thinks is the important part. Um, so you can, you can change those user agent details even though you're on your laptop Facebook's going to think, oh, this is a mobile user. I need to cut them some slack. Um, or that can also work against you if you're just in Cali trying to create a sock. It's going to show up as um, like not a, a, you know, like not, not, not Windows, not Mac OS. And that might raise some red flags during the account creation process. Like from a Facebook point of view, no one uses Linux. They've got to be up to no good. Um, the, like, is, is that kind of a fair summary of, you know, what you're trying to get across? Um, yeah, definitely. Yes. Okay. Um, anybody else have anything to add from their own systems or their own experiences? I could chime in here a bit. Yeah. So I found that even if you use all of the methods that Wally Young uh, pointed out, you also run into an issue if you 
if an account is dormant, especially recently, I've realized this, even if you set everything up properly, if an account goes dormant without any type of user engagement or activity or something like that, it may still be flagged and removed later on because especially if you don't add any content like a profile picture or any account details or don't have any friends, particularly with Facebook or something like that, you still might run into issues in the long term. So um, I, I guess it's not wise to just create a sock and then let it sit. Um, you know, if, if you're using it for a more disposable purpose, you probably want to get the most value out of that sock as soon as you can. So you don't run the risk of essentially burning it right away and then having to recreate it through other means. Very good. Um, Alex, you'd mentioned something, um, I think during a section about using maybe a different Wi-Fi network. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah. Uh, so what I do is for a different Wi-Fi network is I'm not too far from the local library. So I just use that Wi-Fi network for um, creation or check-ins or anything there. Kind of, kind of fitting with it, the, just, the theme of one of my personas there that they may very well just be a person that they're just, they don't have a, their own device. So all they do for engaging in social media is they go to the library and they check their Facebook, they post some updates. Um, there are, because I'm thinking there are, are plenty of people in my area that that's, that's their life, um, that they don't have a smartphone. So they don't get to watch the, the latest stuff on, uh, on any of the platforms. Um, they only just, you know, they check their Twitter and their Facebook and their email uh, maybe once a week when they visit their local library. So I used to do that for a while for account creation because uh, if they flag that, then they're flagging the guy that, you know, works on a farm and comes into the library once a week. That's a really good call out. Um, and maybe the other panelists can weigh in on this. If you're trying to create socks and you keep getting um, you know, flagged, like does, well, you just, just use Facebook. Does, does Facebook say, Hey, this IP keeps trying to make an account. I'm going to keep saying no. Have you encountered that? And is it like a temporary block or you just burn forever? What's your experience is there? I'll say just really quickly. I've seen a ton of questions rolling by about how to post as your sock puppet. Um, uh, I, in a former life, I was a social media manager and the vast majority of social accounts, because I, I managed a lesser known uh, social network that was a competitor to Instagram. We all know how that turned out. So uh, anyway, the vast majority of the accounts were actually mostly quiet, dormant. People would register an account, they'd check things out, they'd look around, post a couple things, and then they'd disappear. And that's kind of what I use that, that kind of uh, activity when I create socks. Um, I position my socks more as content consuming rather than publishing. So my socks will like things or they'll share something every now and again, but they're not creating their own organic content and posting their own pictures and stuff like that. Um, and that's just because I wanna keep them alive and active, but I also don't wanna to draw too much attention. Um, and so I'll, I'll just make sure that I go in there and like a few things every now and again, or uh, share something or comment on something, um, but I'm not actually going in there and posting my rants about work or <laughs> posting pictures or geotagging check-ins and things like that. Um, I find that the more you uh, complicate your activity, uh, the more 
uh, scrutiny you can get. And I've actually had people that worked at the real company where I said my recruiter worked message me and go, no, you don't. <laughs> so I went ahead and unblock those people and moved on with my life. Nice. Um, the, the, this was called out earlier that typically um, being on a VPN for account creation is probably going to not end well for you ever. But what's your experiences um, after your account is set up? I mean, the general advice is that we should all be on a VPN. So have you had any problems, anybody on the panel, like using a VPN after account creation? Or what's your kind of guidance there? I have one experience. So um, when I used to be in a corporate environment, we ran into an issue. I think this was like 2018 or so, uh, maybe maybe before, where we were starting to get uh, banned or blocked on Facebook creation and Twitter creation and things like that. Because I think they were recognizing that we were coming from like an enterprise um, IP address and things like that. So um, our accounts are starting to get blocked, but we still had a few left. And so we decided to switch over to a VPN um, and it, it seemed like our, those accounts eventually also got banned. So I think that they had a means to recognize that um, the, the traffic was coming from a VPN or was also linked to the, the same device type. Cause I think that they also are able to see the device type if you're using the same laptop or the same phone number or, the, or not the same phone number, the same device and things like that. They're able to match those, um, those particulars as well in addition to your IP address. Cause I know all these platforms, if you look at the privacy policy and the, and the types of data that they collect, um, you know, they're getting device type, they're getting uh, time zone, they're getting all kinds of stuff. So um, I, I think that VPN or, or trying to mask your IP in any way, isn't the only way for them to identify or, or blacklist you. That, that was going to be my very next question, actually. Um, <clears throat> so do you all find that you need to be, cons like once you, let's say you're using a proxy um, or you're changing the user agent, like do you need to be consistent? Um, so for example, you know, if you create the account and it thinks you're on, iOS coming from an IP in Singapore, and then you try to log in from a Windows device with an IP in Australia, that's, you know, intuition tells me that's probably going to flag you. But do you all have any experience there or guidance as far as consistency from your login path? I know Instagram in particular will notify the email holder that somebody tried to log into that account from a different location. And they will actually ask you to verify and log back in before you can access it. So I think that if you're jumping locations, like even if it's within the same country, like Texas versus New York or whatever, it'll flag and it'll stop that person from coming in. It'll give them a code via email that they have to type in or whatever. Okay. Way, way Leong, I think you have the most experience with, uh, with the proxy setup. Have you had any experience there? Like, is, is that just one more thing you have to track about your sock? Is there sort of entry path? Um, yeah, definitely. If you're using like a mobile proxy, uh, you will try not to use it over like several sock puppets uh, that you have. Um, so uh, as I mentioned just now, like uh, only uh, like I have the virtual machines for like some specific sock puppets and Usually only uh, those type of sock puppets will get like a mobile proxy IP address. And then it's like permanently embedded into like the browser that I'm using inside. 
the thing. So uh, yeah, so for each of the virtual machine that I open up, um, they have their own uh, mobile proxy and it doesn't mix. Yeah, and uh, teleportation in the social media platforms is a bad idea. <laughs> like, I, I mean, like even for my own account, which is like more than 10 years, um, the first time I went to the US, I logged in and it got me to verify my number, uh, verify my account. I'm like, like what the hell? It's like maybe they <laughs> track like I've never uh, been to the US. I've only been around the region. And the first time I show up in the US and they're like, oh, look, this guy, he doesn't belong here kind of thing. Yeah. Got it. So it sounds like um, taking all this into consideration, this is probably just one more thing that a person needs to maybe sketch out ahead of time before they start trying to crank out accounts. Um, and just one more thing to keep in your organization system and keep track of. But if you, if you think all this through from the beginning, it's probably gonna save you a lot of troubleshooting down the road. Um, I'll say personally, one thing I found useful is if for, if for some reason my home IP just winds up on the bad list, if I just fire up a hotspot on my phone, um, that can typically get me at least one more account creation. Do you all have any experience with like mobile hotspots? Alex, I think you've done some stuff with that. Um, mobile hotspots I've done in the past. It's been a while since I, I spun up a mobile hotspot for use. Um, but yeah, I've had, I don't even remember what the, the account was. It was something from, from Walmart and you had the little like jetpack that you could set up uh, and those worked out pretty well for um for doing things remote but yeah it's been a while since I've, I've set them up using that technology cool and again it was just kind of like a well nothing else worked i'm going to try it and it you know got me at least one cool so now we're headed into the next part and i i apologize i didn't have a clever name for the last section i just couldn't think of anything this next section is called keeping your socks clean um, Alex and Jake are going to be uh, walking us through um, how they maintain their accounts. Um, you know, what level of detail do you have to go into? Do you have to sketch out an entire biography for your sock and make sure it's consistent? Um, just they're going to talk us through some of their strategies and some things that have worked for them. And then I'm sure we'll have some weigh in and some questions from the panelists. Take it away. All right, Alex, do you want to start? You want me to start? You can start. All right. Yeah. So I guess to kind of summarize what we've talked about so far in this conversation and then moving it more into this topic is there, are, you know, there's socks that you use that are more disposable, you know, one-time use type things or socks that you're not really worried about if they get blocked because you can essentially just spin up another one using the methods that we described. That's one way of looking at it. The next way of looking at it, if you want to do something more persistent, you're going to have to build out a persona and you're gonna to have to build out something that's a little bit more believable and something that people may wanna engage with or somebody who might see your engagement as authentic. Um, the first one I would say I use more for if I'm, if I'm investigating a platform and trying to understand the mechanics of it, I'll just use a disposable stock puppet. If I'm trying to do a one-time data collection um, thing, if I'm trying to like scrape a subreddit or something like that, I'll use a one-time sock puppet generation. Um, if I'm wanting to do something more persistent and do a more active investigation, I agree with Elith in the first um, aspect that you want to have it more, like let, more casual and not so um, heavily engaging. If 
you're doing it for, um, I guess, more authoritative reasons. So I'll kind of unpack that. So I break it down into two different um, sections and I've, I've written about this before. It's, there's, you can try to create a realistic person that people will think is a real person. And you, you would have to use, you know, images of people, biographical information. You'd have to put in, you know, possibly family members, work, work history, all those types of things. And we can talk about that more in a second. Then there's the other aspect, which is what I've seen a lot, especially in the OSINT and InfoSec communities is people will create personas that everybody in the community knows is not real, right? Things like Swift on security comes to mind where they have like 300,000 followers, but we know that's not like a person in that picture, right? It's, it's, a, it's a persona, right? It, it's truly a sock. If you're trying to do a legitimate real person, I agree with Elif that you should make it as casual as possible as, as, as if you're a consumer of the platform and not trying to be an influencer. However, if you're trying to, you know, and we'll, I can talk about this more in a second, if you're, if you're trying to engage more and the communities that you're trying to do investigations on require more engagement to get more information out of that community, I would go with the persona route and try to become as authoritative as possible in that community for a variety of reasons. So we'll break this down in half. So if you're trying to do something like competitive intelligence, you wanna look more as like a consumer of the platform because eventually you want to engage with maybe a competitor to get information from them. And so you wanna build out things like LinkedIn connections. You wanna build out maybe a little bit of engagement and following on Twitter and things like that. And so if you do finally reach out to a company or anything like that to get competitive intelligence of any you know, variety, you look like a legitimate person who could be a customer a potential customer or something like that. So if that's your use case, that's probably where I would start is like with LinkedIn, Facebook, and things that would simulate people versus a more public platform like Instagram or Twitter, which is mainly designed and even TikTok is more, more designed for like influencers. Uh, if you wanna do something, which I think is the, the, the fun part, it's something I call passive, active and passive collection. If you build a persona out, something like Swift on security or Shakira security, and there's a variety of other ones, even Dutch Osen guy was kind of like a, a persona before he you know, became Nico Deacons in the, in the public light. But um, if you're trying to go down that route, you can actually publish content, become you know, more of an influencer in that category. And then once you get to the point where you're kind of collecting passively open source intelligence, then you're reaching out to people and you know, commenting on, um, on their posts or maybe sending them direct messages. But if you get a certain level of following, then information comes back to you, even if you don't request it. So if you become like a, you know, an influencer in a particular category under this persona, people might send you DMs with new techniques and research things that, they are, that they're working on. They may ask you to be like a beta tester on a platform that they're working on building or something like that. And that's kind of a way of more passive information collection that could be useful for your investigation. Another use case would be something like if you're a journalist and you're investigating a particular group and just to maintain, I guess, political ambiguity, let's say that you're a journalist who may be investigating Antifa or alternatively the alt-right, creating a persona that would you know, be more accepted by the community you're investigating would allow you to maybe start starting conversations with those individuals. Maybe you want to learn about events, you want to learn about maybe what a word or a phrase means or, um, you know, get uh, access to some type of publication or anything like that. That's another way that you would do something more of in a persona manner and be more active. 
Um, so that, that's kind of my approach to it. And it really depends on my use case and the type of investigation that I'm working on. But um, I guess I can, I can kick it over to Alex to see what he says. Maybe we can start a conversation about it, of, of, of how he does it. Yeah, so I think first to, to state my use cases there, um, I'm one of the, the judge admins for Trace Labs. So a lot of my sock puppet use is for um, viewing and validating all that information, all that intelligence that individuals like Elise here, uh, Black Badge winner, um, some of the information that she sends across both during the competition and then later on when we're generating the reports. So those are my use cases is that I'm not really engaging as much as I'm just creating a sock puppet to sort of backstop um, if I make a mistake. If I click on something, if I notif if there is any sort of notification or LinkedIn, like we said, loves to tattle on you. Um, so I create a persona for that so that if anybody does swing by my sock puppet account, they're gonna see something that just blends in. Um, I have that created history and I have uh, some hobbies of theirs um, in that, you know, they, I'm gonna make no secret that I'm in Wisconsin. So I'll just use that as my example in the, um, the, the sock puppet went to the University of Wisconsin. They graduated with a generic degree. I don't even say what degree it is. They worked at Starbucks and then they go on to work a very generic um, IT role at one of the largest companies in the state. So they blend in and you can, you can look up, there, there's a, a great, um, there's all sorts of ways that you can look up job titles. LinkedIn loves to scrape job titles. So just go with the most generic one. Um, I found some job titles that you put that in and you go, what does that even mean? You're a system operator. Does that mean you run a printing press? Does that mean you do painting? Does that mean you're answering phones? What does that even mean? Um, so then it, you can sit in the company. I love this because I've, I've sat in some companies for, for, for a while. And I think like the IT would say, oh, he's not one of our guys. He must be like an operator over there doing the printing presses and the printing press says, well, no, he's not an operator here. He must be in like operator over doing this other thing here. Um, so you just blend in. And if anybody looks at your profile, um, it's not going to stand out. You're just going to be like, you know, you're going to be like three of the people that are at the local bar that they graduated from a local college, um, worked at Starbucks or bartending for a while, and then now they work at the big company that's down the road. Um, so you, you, you blend in. Um, likewise, I have hobbies. I don't have to be an expert on these hobbies. And this is one of the things that I love to do is I don't need to be an expert on it, but there are plenty of people on Reddit that are. Um, I can make my guy a Seattle Seahawks fan. And I just brought this up right here that I could say, I know nothing about Seattle Seahawks, but I could read this off of Reddit right now saying, uh, Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde questionable. Both practiced and Chris was running. Good news. I think Chris will push himself to play. He really wants to play as many games as he can this year. I, I've never really watched a Seahawks game in the past two years, but that sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, so on my social media, I might say, I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm gonna throw that comment out there. Um, and just not engage with anybody else that if people say you're wrong or I disagree with you, yeah, I don't care. You visited my page, you made a comment, who cares? Um, I also like taking a lot of generic photos to use later. Um, he's, he's a fan of, of Harley's or a fan of, um, fan of Harley's, fan of fire. 
So find a Harley picture, save it. Three months later, post it somewhere. Uh, take a picture of a campfire. Um, because you know you're not you're not really going to reverse it. You know if, if you run it through the right kind of metadata, anyways, just scrub the metadata off. Um, people aren't going to reverse image search a random campfire, and you go, "Oh, I went out and had a campfire the other day. Very soothing." Um, so you just blend in, and that's again just a backstop. Like when you're doing these things, if if one of the for me, if one of the contestants sends over some intelligence, I click on it and I go, "Oh, this probably alerted them that." the fact that I visited, well, I'm not coming up as, um, you know, Joe Trace Labs that does, you know, investigations for missing persons. I'm backstopped as, well, it's just some random guy that likes Campfire Seattle Seahawks and he's just some rando that clicked on my my page for something. Uh, so it's a good backstop for that safety purpose. Uh, that That's a lot of my approach and what I do. Um, you know, kind of keep it updated that way just by using other people's knowledge and expertise to just kind of be my own. Can we talk about pictures? Yeah. Uh, I think that I think that's that's a question a lot of people have. And regardless of your sock use case, whether it's you know just more you know one-time use doesn't matter if it gets burned or more investigative a lot of platforms are going to flag or, or I say, I should say Facebook wants you to have a picture. Um, and there's a lot of different schools of thought, a lot of different strategies. So I'd be curious to hear everyone's thoughts on that. I can start. Um, I actually reached out to Wild Young after uh, his presentation at, OSINT, uh, at SANS, the SANS Summit for OSINT, I guess is what it was called. Um, People often talk about, should you use real images or should you use like GANs and like AI images? And I was thinking about it for a second. And I was like, why do we have to choose one or the other, right? Like, why can't we create the, re the realistic look of a real image, but then not have to use someone's real identity? So what I decided to do was I took, I went to like generated.photos, I think is the, is the URL. Because if you use like, this person does not exist. It gives you a lot of really strange images sometimes. They're not very clean. But what I did was I went to generated photos and I grabbed a few of them. And then I went to like a stock photo website and I found collections of, of like a model or like a person that was like a lifestyle photo. And what I tried to do was, and it was actually successful, was I took the GAN that was most similarly looking to the stock photo and I actually just used, I think an online site to do a face swap between the GAN and the stock photo so that I could get the GAN's photo onto the stock image. And then I could build out an entire library of photos that would match across the board. So if someone was flipping through like a Facebook, it's not just one photo, it's a bunch of photos. You have family photos. You can take four GANs, swap all the faces on all the people in the family and create a, a, you know, a whole persona that way. You can mix in a couple cat pictures and like uh, Alex said, a couple campfire pictures and vacation stuff, maybe some uh, travel photos. And before you know it, you have like 40 photos and um, none of them are directly attributable to either the stock image or the, um, or the GAN if you do, um, if you crop it and, and maybe change the tone of it, maybe change it to like a, a vivid tone instead of like what the stock image had or whatever, and just obfuscate the image a bit. You can actually have a, a quite a few images on your hand. Yeah, I really like that. Um, 
I mean, for for the images, I use the uh, this person does not exist, and then just kind of you know shift it a little bit. Um, additionally, I, I I love getting the uh, for engagement and, and gaining friends, and that and that might be moving to another topic there um, is gaining friends. Is that there sometimes to where at a big festival um, that I'll, I'll post a comment saying, hey, it was great seeing you there. Um, and, and it's just, you know, at a big festival, it'd be like, oh, it was great seeing everybody there. And they'll, I'll get people that respond, oh, yeah, you too. It was great seeing you there. And then sure enough, I'll get like a couple of the friend requests because they thought I was at this big, you know, festival in the local area. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept your friend request. We can be friends. And I think I have one of my sock puppets that has somewhere like 800 friends and only one of them has ever sent me a message being like, do I know you? And I'm like, not responding to that. And okay, I guess it's like, I have a bunch of friends from these people that go, oh yeah, I must've saw him at the, you know, like I said, he likes Harleys and I, I don't want to pick on Harley guys, but they'll, they'll certainly send out friend requests to anybody that also likes Harleys. You like Harleys? I like Harleys. Let's be friends. That's uh, some and, A plus social media engineering right there. <laughs> yeah. Actually, for the sake of discussion, um, we all have this one friend on our Facebook, on our legitimate Facebook accounts that doesn't have a picture of their face. And they still manage to like stay on Facebook for like 10 years. And they're active. Don't get me wrong. They're not like the Norman kind. They are active and yeah, they're, they're active, but you don't see any faces of them, of their friends. You only see like food, scenery, cats, dogs, and stuff like that. Yeah. Have you ever wondered like, oh, maybe this is like a viable path to like building a sock puppet? I'll say um, the, the sock I use for all my Trace Lab stuff has never had a single photo and I've still got it. So, you know. Yeah, mine has zero <laughs> friends, like zero friends. I don't have a mobile number associated with it. I've got a couple pictures, but one's a profile and one's a cover. And uh, essentially what I did was I locked the profile's privacy down so that if you went to look at the profile, it would just look like it was all hidden as private or only viewable to me. Um, and that's actually helped a lot. I've never received a friend request. I've never sent one, um, but I use it for all of my Trace Labs OSINT CTFs. Um, shout out to Password Inspection Agency. I see you hiding in the chat. <laughs> um, I, so I, th I think maybe one takeaway from this topic is try getting away with as little as possible and see if it works. So right out of the gate, don't worry about um, necessarily like coming up with an image if you don't have to, especially if it's just, if it's a purely passive account, you know, like like whether that, that's a trace lab CTF or just your own personal investigations. If you don't have to interact with anybody and you can get away with not having a photo, you know, say, I say, save yourself the trouble. What do y'all think? Keep it simple. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Tom, am I able to share my screen briefly to just demonstrate something real quick? Yes. Do you have a share option or do I have to? I have a share option. Go for it. See what happens. All right. Let's see. Can everybody see my screen? It's just should be like a, a GAN image here that I found. A really good one. Yep, you're good. All right, so 
actually, let me see. So here's a stock photo that I found just to give you guys an idea. So here's a GAN that I pulled. I removed the background from behind it. So I just have the image. And here's a stock photo that I pulled of a person that, um, you know, from a free stock photo website. By just doing a face swap, I essentially created this person. Oh, wow. So original person, this person. And this is effectively just a combination of this guy, this guy to make this guy. And now I, a lot of these websites will have like 15 images, all of this guy in different poses. And then you could just use that to swap it. I think I used the app, it was called like reflect.tech. I'm not even sure if it's still around, but you can use Snapchat, you can use all kinds of stuff to uh, do these face swaps. I just wanted to show that just to put a, a visual aid to that. Nice. And um, like how long did, like, does that take you? Is, is there kind of a, a learning curve? And like once you're into it, you can just kind of crank those out? Yeah, so you just uh, you just download all the images that you want. And then the website will ask which image you want it, like which two images you want to do a face swap on. You just pick the GAN and then you pick the, the stock photo and then it just swaps it. Nice. That's that. And then, so you can crank out. I mean, I, I can do it in maybe a few minutes. Cool. Very good. And I, I really like that technique because it avoids the questionable nature of just, you know, using someone else's photo for, your own sock puppet account. And I think the legalities of that are gonna vary across states, countries, uh, you know, different platforms. Um, so I like how you've kind of gotten the best of both worlds. You're using a real picture, but you know, unless the copyright holder of that photo comes after you for some reason, you know, you're, I, feel, I feel like you're on pretty good ground there. Yeah, and I used a free stock image website. I think I used pexels.com, P-E-X-E-L-S. And all of the, all of them are royalty free. Oh, even better. And Unsplash is a really great stock, uh, free stock photos website because there's a lot of individual creative contributors. Um, so they're not like the really polished looking stock photos. Um, and you can, um, you can find more organic people in normal cir circumstances and not the contrived ones you see in a lot of the stock stuff or or too model perfect um in some cases yeah for the the two model perfect i i take my images and, and you, you can find some sites to where you can just rotate the image just ever so slightly um and you'll you'll start to notice this if you use those generated photo sites is that you'll go through and those, those you know eyes are just too pixel perfect there and you know, if, if you brought up that site or anybody that's going through like this person does not exist, when you start, you know, go through like six pictures in a quick succession, you'll be like, okay, now these eyes are really are creeping me out. Um, so I just take those and, and just adjust them by a little bit. Um, Cause even just looking at camera at everybody, like how they're, they're, they're sitting or how they're posed or just the natural geometry of the face your eyes are not pixel perfect. You're not, nobody on this panel is sitting there perfectly even. Um, so then I just have the pictures reflect that whenever I use a generated image. Um, I also use a lot of like, you know, pictures of tattoos and stuff because those are easy enough to kind of come up with as well. Um, you know, just use those instead of a, a facial pick. It just puts some, uh, it gives a little bit more relation, but be consistent with your tattoos. Don't have a picture of a tattoo that goes away. Um, that that'll that that might raise some questions. 
Nice. Um, <clears throat> I think that, that that's a really good segue into kind of an overall platform discussion. I think the go-to for at least people OSINT, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Twitter, depending on the person, but there's a ton of new or newer platforms out there that I don't use because I'm getting older. Um, do you all want to walk us through some of that? Like I saw a question in the Q and A about parlor, Jake, I think you, you have some parlor experience. Yeah. So I probably don't want to say too much about it cause we're doing an event next Wednesday on parlor, but, um, I guess from the general, um, gist of it, if you're a guest on the platform, there's only so much information that's available, like posts and photos and videos and things like that but you do need to register for an account to see most of the other content like followers and followings and things like that. And registering for an account is pretty difficult on Parler. It requires a CAPTCHA verification as well as an SMS verification. So um, you, like we mentioned before, all the components of a SOC, you would need all of those things. Um, and once you're on, the, it doesn't really play very nice if you try to go into like incognito mode and see it from guest and from a logged in view, it'll like kick you out of the login view and make you log back in again, uh, resetting your passwords a nightmare on it. It's just from an infrastructure standpoint, it's, it's very difficult, but there's a bunch of stuff um, that you can do from an OSINT perspective. We're doing a free webinar on it next week um, and I can share the link with everybody as well. It's kind of a deep dive. I think we're gonna spend a whole hour just on Parler, looking at all the different things, scraping data off of it, pivoting from that data, um, de determining different types of accounts um, because there's a total of 10 account types on Parler that you can have different types of verification account types, things like that. But I think generally a lot of people are reacting to Parler because it, it received over a million downloads after the U.S. election. Um, the user engagement's going up. A lot of people are shifting from Facebook to Twitter. It's very similar to what we saw with Gab in like 2016 and things like that. So I'm not sure at this point if it's going to be something that's going to be persistently relevant throughout 2021 and beyond. We'll just have to see if people actually stay on Parler or if they come back to um, to Facebook and Twitter after some of the political controversy rolls out. Okay. Anybody else? Um, I think the 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 platform you find value in is obviously going to vary on, you know, what you're, what or who you're investigating. Um, but any kind of off the beaten path platforms you all have experience with? Alina, I wouldn't say off the beaten path, um, but LinkedIn is predominantly where I spend all my time. And more recently, um, within the, the context of the Trace Labs, missing persons uh, search parties, I've had to explore things like uh, TikTok and Snapchat, which for me is a flipping nightmare <laughs> because I'm like, ugh, I don't like this UI. But um, that again is a place where I would say it's preferable to have a mobile device that you can do those things from uh, because it's a little tough to try to even use Instagram from a browser sometimes. And I've noticed that your search results are a little bit different between uh, the browser search results and the mobile application search results. Um, but as far as off the beaten path, I don't know that I've explored anything too, too interesting <laughs> lately. No one else wants to weigh in. I have a whole list. That's kind of what I do every day is, is kind of dissect some of these platforms. Um, there's a lot of mobile based ones. I know everyone's talking about TikTok as well. Um, TikTok has, um, a pretty robust capability of what you can get from a desktop version. Um, you know, it is a mobile first app. 
However, um, you can essentially extract all of the videos off of anybody's TikTok page. You can you can discover TikTok profiles through um, through Google's index of it. You can um, you can search through hashtags on um, TikTok. What I found on TikTok, which is very interesting, is that people will often hashtag their location and the content that they create. So if you put in like hashtag San Francisco, you kind of have like a backdoor uh, geolocation if you can verify if you can verify some of the videos that way. I know TikTok has been huge. Um, Telegram is something I saw people mention in um, in the chat as well. Um, Nico does a really cool tutorial. It's on YouTube that kind of dissects some of the tools you can use for Telegram extraction for groups and channels. Um, channels are going to be the easiest ones to get information from. Um, we've done a couple trainings on those at Scope now as well on how to pull that content off of there. But groups I thought was really interesting because you can actually extract users from groups and pull like hundreds of thousands of users, including their profile images and their usernames that you can use for reverse username search across more surface, you know, platforms like Facebook and Twitter and things like that. But there's a couple other ones that I think are interesting that are on the fringe. Mastodon is, is a place where people are often going. Um, Discord is something that's becoming something you can get more information from on the open source side. There's a couple websites out there. I don't know them off the top of my head that will actually show you which groups a member is in within Discord. So you can see a list if they're in gaming channels or political channels or things like that. Um, but if there's anyone in particular that that's on anybody's radar, I'd be more than happy to, um, to talk to it. Very nice. Um, as we all know, <laughs> um, as we all know, you know, the world is going more and more mobile and generally speaking, mobile is more forgiving from a SOT creation point of view. Do any of you have any experience with like an Android emulator or some sort of a mobile device emulator and any luck there? Or do, you do or would you rather just stick to on, on a desktop and trying to mask yourself as being on a mobile device through something like proxies? Or no, do you, you all just, just buy phones because it's easier? <laughs> One. I just buy phones because it's super accessible um, and it's it makes it easier and less likely that I'm going to be uh, stopped or blocked or banned if it's a legitimate device. In my experience, it's just I'm a huge proponent of keeping it simple only because I find that that works. And and same with physical security. If I do assessments, I don't overcomplicate things with accents or wigs or craziness um, because I feel like it just leads to more uh, ways that things can go wrong. <laughs> and so that's kind of my my opinion of the emulators, um, but I'll defer to anyone else in the panel. Yeah, I actually agree. Like the sock puppets that I maintain on the mobile devices stay on the mobile devices. Yeah, so as not to like mess things up. Uh, but I do see some uh, mentions of Bluestack and Jenny Motion um, in the chat. Uh, I, I mean, like, I, I use it sometimes for some scripting work and just to test if the script works on, like, a mobile device type of things. Uh, but, I mean, it, it, it is an option, especially BlueStack. BlueStack is pretty powerful. Uh, it's a pretty powerful emulator. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, if you spend most of your time on the desktop, but you would like to snoop around, like, a mobile device, then I, I would say that BlueStack is a pretty good uh, software to use as an emulator. 
Yeah, I'd agree. I use BlueStacks. I used Genie Motion in the past, but um, I think it had some issues with licensing or they changed a pricing model or something like that. I, uh, I found that it's from a sock puppet perspective, I would 100% recommend using a physical device instead of an emulator, just because it, it has all of the markers that you need to designate it as an actual phone and not an emulator attached to uh, a computer. But from my, like an OSINT and data collection perspective, it's, it's hard to get information off of a phone and into a workspace like on your desktop that you can use for analysis. And so I found that using an emulator um, for data collection itself um, on mobile apps like TikTok and, and, and some you know, offshoot apps like Whisper and things like that, it's much easier to use an emulator than a, than a mobile phone. Very nice. Um, <clears throat> one of the last things on my mind, you know, we are part of the information security community, in my opinion, the best part. Um, I'd like to pick your all's brains about maybe some of these security implications or considerations when it comes to sock puppet accounts. So I think I mentioned towards the beginning, one purpose of a sock puppet is to try and separate the real you from whatever or whoever you're investigating. Um, so I'd like to talk through maybe some of the concerns there about how, you know, that sandbox could be broken, um, how things could point back to you, and also a discussion about does that matter? So, you know, a person competing in a trace lab CTF is going to have a different threat model than the journalist investigating a cartel in Juarez. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if someone finds out that, you know, Tom Hawker is the, you know, is behind this sock puppet account with what I'm doing, no one gets hurt. If so, if the cartel finds out I'm the person posting as this sock puppet, something very, very bad is going to happen to me. So um, do you all want to weigh in on some of those connections that can be made, um, some different threat models people might need to consider? Uh, I'll start off really quick. There was one thing I, I wanted to mention, and that is that we all know LinkedIn will rat you out for viewing profiles. Um, but what most people don't consider is that in the, in the context of doing a Trace Labs uh, OSINT CTF, you're going to be looking at a lot of Facebook profiles. Um, and if you're using your authentic personal Facebook account, it, Facebook could start to believe that perhaps you know some of these people and then suggest you to them as potential friends. Like, do you know this person? Don't you want to add them as a friend? Um, and vice versa. So one of the reasons why I say it's very important to maintain the alternate accounts is to, like you said, separate your own persona and you personally from the very real people who are involved in the missing persons uh, situations that you're investigating. Um, and I also want to note the the chat's been cracking me up because you are all super paranoid about purchasing your SIM cards. <laughs> um, I will say a. CCTV catching you purchasing a SIM card, even if you're paying cash, that is a way complex threat model that you're working with there. And if you are using sock puppets for only ethical purposes, the chances that you're going to ever find yourself in a situation where somebody is going to go to the lengths of determining who has the mobile number that's associated with that account 
um, I would say you're probably not actually doing this the right way. Um, everything that we are sharing this evening is 100% for the purposes of OSINT for good um, and to separate and keep your own self safe from these um, uh, other people knowing who you are only for the purposes of uh, your privacy. This is not a situation where you've, you know, created uh, a problem for yourself and now you're trying to hide or flee the country. <laughs> um, so for me personally, I don't mind that my SIM cards are associated with my own personal self in most cases. What's important is that the email address is different and that the name of the person is different from me, whether that is a, you know, fake made up persona or a could be a believably real person name. Um, but, but I just wanted to address that. You, you should not be concerned that you are going to have the SWAT team busting your door down and that you need to separate yourself that far away from these SOC accounts because you should only be using these for um, passive information collecting and research. That's an amazing call out. And um it's important to make the distinction between who you're hiding from or who you're trying to separate yourself from because there's the platform and then there's the subject of your investigation. Everything we're talking through is to prevent the subject of an investigation from connecting the dots back to you. Facebook knows exactly who you are. I don't care how good you are. The NSA knows who you are. The government knows who you are. Um, there are so many data points um, that we don't even know about that are going to be pointing back to this is you. And I, I liked Elite's point. If you're worried about, you know, Interpol or SWAT busting in your door, um, this probably isn't the conversation for you. Um, who else has some things to add to that? Well, I, I was going to kind of follow up on what Elise said um, when she was talking about all the when you're you're navigating through viewing these profiles and it might suggest to you that they be friends that you and them be friends um for a certain point and it's like once i get up to a certain level of of friends and i decide that i want to use that sock puppet um i pretty much don't accept any new any new friends because uh, i don't know where these friend requests are coming from if it was through I just got done with a CTF and now my inbox has 15 friend requests in it. I don't, I don't really keep track of where those friend requests are and I don't want to end up making friends with uh, whomever. So I do build out my friend list before I start uh, using the, the sock puppets for anything. Uh, but af after that time, I don't. Um, and if we get into it, I can give some tips as to how to get friends quickly, how to make friends quickly with your sock puppet. I would say another thing that we can add when it comes to the risk of using this is the higher the risk of your investigation, I find the more gray areas appear, right? And when the gray areas are so abundant that you can't tell the difference between OSINT for good and OSINT for gray, I guess, then you probably have probably pushed your sock puppet too far as far as the use case. And you're probably in an area that you probably don't want to be in. Um, most use cases are pretty cut and dry as, as far and, and pretty clear as, as far as the ethical use cases of them. And I think 
you know, if you keep a good conscious, you'll, you'll know when you're, when you're kind of stepping out of bounds, um, if that risk level becomes high enough and you're really worried about it. So I, I would say just trust your intuition, but it becomes pretty clear at a certain point within an investigation. I think a lot of times, like people start uh, making sock puppets for investigations without um, actually planning out what's the end game of the investigation. Um, so for like example, if I know that I'm this sock puppet is just going to do um, investigation in Facebook. I'm just going to quietly look at people on Facebook and nowhere else. And as Tom mentioned just now, it doesn't matter how good you are. Facebook has all your information. And I, I've kind of seen like uh, the results that came back from a court order uh, about what Facebook has. Yeah, you can hide, but it's just a matter of time before they get you. Uh, yeah, so like considering that, uh, some people would still be like, oh, uh, I have to connect to like a VPN. I have to, if not, I cannot log into my account, to my Salt Puppet account. I mean, like, uh, in this case, you're just going to be in Facebook. Oh, Facebook has your info, yes. Is Facebook going to share it with the people that you are looking at? Uh, the answer is highly unlikely. Uh, but in another scenario where um, you're doing investigation on maybe like a nefarious actor uh, owns like a couple of websites, forums and stuff like that. Um, that then you have to like visit the sites, the forums, which is uh, highly possible that they will log your IP addresses. So I would think that if your, if the end game of your investigation is to visit all the sites, then yes, your VPNs, your proxies are definitely uh, a valid consideration because uh, you don't want to spook whoever you are uh, investigating. And I, I, I would think that like maybe like 95% of the people that are doing OSIN uh, don't need to go all out on this whole OPSEC thing. It's good to have, but unless you are doing really some serious uh, investigation, like maybe like as mentioned, like cartels, um, terrorists, people uh, like types of people like that, then yes, uh, you belong to the five percent, and you have to go all out uh, in your upside. And if you come think about it, uh, whatever we've mentioned about setting up the song puppet and everything, um, how is it different from being someone? that's sending out phishing emails, trying to scam people. Yeah, this can take like a very wrong turn very easily uh, with whatever we have discussed, it, even with just what we've discussed today. Yeah, so it's a very, very thin line on how we can use our sock puppets. Excellent point. And I, I think it comes back, back to something we said at the very beginning around organization and planning by the time you realize you need good OPSEC, it's way too late. <laughs> so you know, if, if, you're, if you're heading down a path where you think you might need these protections, you've got to build that in from the very beginning. Otherwise you're not gonna achieve what you're trying to achieve. Very good. Um, 
So that's all I had on my outline. Um, before we jump into some maybe Q&A, did any of the panelists have anything to add, bring up? I think in like just a quick hit there is for sock puppets, I think people ask like, what do I do if my sock puppet gets burned? One of the answers that I have is, you know, just, you know, like the uh, the Lay's motto that you can't have just one. Uh, so it's always good to have others in backup, in rotation. Um, and for some of those that have asked, what do I do now that mine got burnt? I says, well, I guess you're going to have to build another. But when you're building that other one, build a second one and let that second, you know, let the, that second one age uh, so that when you get burnt again, you're not sitting there um, unable to, I'm, I'm looking at this from the trace lab perspective, you're not now unable to compete well, you just go to your backup and then after the, the competition you build a second one there so that you, you have a, a backup in storage. Another bit too. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. I don't know if I can if I grab somebody, but uh, I would say that after you make a SOP puppet, especially if you're building out a real person, you want to constantly do an open source intelligence investigation on that sock itself to make sure that you're plugging up any leaks that you might find and try to be as objective as possible. So just try to dox your own sock as often as you can to make sure that it's it, you know, it, it stays, um, I guess, foolproof. And, uh, so should should doxing your sock be part of your feeding your sock <laughs> routine? Probably. You know, every so, time you create something new, you probably should try to dox it again um, to try to uh, make sure that it's as legit as possible. I think the best way too is like look at your own digital footprint, you know, as your real human being self, and try to like, you know, you, most people have like Flickr accounts or something strange from the past, so you may want to consider, you know, mimicking that type of behavior as far as building a digital footprint out for your yeah. sock is like, maybe try to make a MySpace for it or something, you know, yeah. give it, give it a history <laughs> or, um, or, or something like that to make it look more legitimate from the outside viewer. One thing so. I will mention about the CRMs too, and this is kind of a side benefit that I forgot to mention up front. Uh, CRMs are designed to remind salespeople to follow up with their potential leads and you know get them to buy that car so what a crm will do is prod you to email or call your sock puppet <laughs> and the reason why that's useful is that you're going to get reminded that you haven't touched that sock in a little while and it will prompt you to go feed your sock so log into the accounts like some things make a couple comments or however you want to perform sock maintenance um, and that's a good way to, to keep yourself reminded frequently to go do that. Very good. All right. Anything else from the group before we try to jump into some Q&A? No, hopefully we can get around to, uh, well, I'll, I'll toss one item out there for, I know people said, you know, tell us how to make friends quickly. Um, I'm not going to really get into that, but one tip that I can, I can share for LinkedIn is to set yourself to be an open networker on Lion, which is the LinkedIn open network. Uh, so you, you, you do that and you're going to get all these other people that say, oh, I'm also an open networker and the friend request or the, the requests on LinkedIn will, uh, will, will come flooding in pretty quickly there. And you don't even have to say like where you actually work. You're just 
open networker at Lion, uh, and you'll start getting a lot of stuff flowing in. And then once you think you have enough friends, turn that off and just basically, yeah, for all your contacts that thought you were an open networker, too bad, so sad. You turn that off and then you just start building your profile with whatever else you want. That's a good way to kind of get up to a lot of contacts quickly and a lot of, you probably won't have too many open networkers that will get upset when you turn that um, feature off. Awesome. <clears throat> um, at the risk of turning into total chaos, um, do our panelists want to scroll through the Q&A window and see if anything jumps out at you as something like, oh yes, I would love to answer that question or that sounds interesting versus me just going through and trying to manage all that. Also, that's way easier for me. So it's a win-win. <laughs> I, tried, I tried to go through these as they came in to answer any that we'd either already answered or as um, things were duplicated that we'd already discussed. Um, but one that I was not I didn't think prepared to answer is, and I'm not sure if we fully covered it, the need for virtual machines. Mm -hmm. um, so I was going to throw that out to the group. Yeah. Um, and VMs are going to be an organizational tool as well as kind of a handy sandboxing tool. So you get a lot of benefits from VMs. Does anybody want to expand on that? I can. I, I use the VMs for a lot of stuff. It's it's great to just kind of have it as a, um, just as a clean clean slate or being able to revert back to, uh, especially you know in in the the role that I have, just you know taking in all that intelligence to click on a lot of stuff uh, with my sock puppets as well. So it's good to be able to kind of say that's that's not going to cross contaminate to any of my other stuff on my. Uh, machine. I mean, I, I clean my regular machine regularly anyways, um, just to clear out information. But then that that virtual machine, I can say for investigative purposes, that's not going to uh, accidentally come over. Um, I did have a, a, a fun near miss with this is that I was the uh, with my sock puppet is that I saw when this was announced on LinkedIn, I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna have to like log in and share and amplify this. And I go to log in and I almost share it. And I go, wait, I'm logged in with my sock puppet right now. Don't do that. <laughs> so I almost shared this very webinar with my sock puppet. Uh, so I had to go, wait a minute. Um, but you know, VM is a good way to basically just make sure that you're never signed into your uh, sock puppet accounts uh, on your real machine, that they all stay in that VM environment. So I did make a mistake there. Uh, but then the worst case scenario with that is that you just have some some random guy that was uh, that worked at at Starbucks and went to the local university, uh, sharing out this uh, this webinar. I see a question I want us to all discuss, and that is, what does everybody think of the documentary "Don't F with Cats"? I would love to jump into this one because there was a lot of sock puppet usage. Yeah, uh, that, that, could be, that could be an entire webinar. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of opinion on that. Yeah. I have one comment. So I have let, one let's just try and keep it focused to the sock puppet portion yeah. of that documentary. Yeah, I mean, I can I can talk about you know this is a piggyback both on Elith and Alex here about like finding friends and building a friends list using a sock puppet on Facebook, and what you'll find is that if even if you have a sock puppet account, which many of them did in that documentary. 
if you join a Facebook group and start engaging with people on that group and just start adding them as friends, they'll accept you as friends. Even if you have zero uh, people on your friends list. So you can quickly join like eight or nine groups, you know, start engaging with these people. If you want to do it the cheap and fast way, you can go to one of those follow for follow Facebook groups and you can get a bunch of followers and likes and, and, um, and friends and stuff like that on there. If, if you want something more targeted, you'd want to go to groups that are specific to your investigation and, and start making friends with people on there. And then, um, and then building out your friends list from there. Once you have a few hundred, then they, they usually start coming in um, on their own. Nice. Um, one thing that jumped out at me from that documentary around socks is um, some of those investigators kind of did fall into the 5%, you know, that, um, that was mentioned earlier that, you know, had they had better socks, um, maybe they, they wouldn't have been found in real life. I believe, I forget which episode it was, but kind of the, the primary investigator, you know, got sent a video of herself walking around her workplace um, because she, I believe, I guess, wasn't using a sock puppet account, um, or was maybe, maybe this person had infiltrated um, their actual Facebook group and was watching the investigation. That's a whole different offset conversation. Um, but I think that was an example of when you're trying to quote catch a killer, which is not what we do here. But if you're trying to do that, sock puppet accounts um, can be pretty, pretty critical to that process. What do y'all think? I would absolutely agree with that. That was actually the, the only point that I was um, looking to make with regards to that documentary is I felt like they did not uh, put a large enough distance between their personal selves and their own personalities, likes and dislikes and where they worked and all that stuff, location, et cetera, especially considering the matters that they were investigating. Um, so some of you that have pointed out the need for you know, really comprehensive security and OPSEC, that's definitely a situation where that would have been vital um, to them remaining anonymous. Um, but otherwise, um, I think we can put that that question to bed unless anyone else has any sock comments. Uh, I think I saw some comments in the chat about how, how sock puppets can spook uh, hmm. targets of investigation. Um, I, I always tell people that if you are doing like a very serious investigation, don't assume you're the only one with cybersecurity capabilities. Yes, uh, I mean like there are a lot of like cyber mercenaries per se out, out there. Uh, just need to pay like a few hundred bucks. They could like help check the logs and stuff like that and tell you whether if someone is snooping on you or not. Uh, yeah, and like, as I mentioned in my previous life, uh, did some tracking on some uh, potentially dangerous uh, individuals. And yeah, we actually did manage to spook like some of them. And it's like one day we're looking at them and we're like taking screenshots of like their website, their profiles and everything. And the next day they're gone, like immediately wiped off from the interwebs. And yeah, so that's... Uh, yeah, that's one experience I, I feel like it's important to share to people if you're into that 5% population uh, of investigation. Very good. Any other questions that jump out to the group? Um, I have one. 
<laughs> uh, do any of us think that it's best to keep our sock puppet accounts logged in on our devices such as Google, Chrome, Facebook app, et cetera? Do you keep them logged in or do you log out when you're done with them and, and uh, you know, shut down your computer or your VM and put it away? Or do you keep them logged in on a device? Uh, my, my VMs are generally like just paused. I'm, yeah, I don't remember shutting down any of my VMs <laughs> unless it crashes. Yeah. That, that's usually the only way I shut down a VM is if I crash it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, uh, <clears throat> and what they're referring to, if people in the audience don't have a lot of virtual machine experience, one of the awesome things about a VM is you can turn it off, but you're saving it. So it's not like running on your machine currently, but its state was saved. So when you start it back up, you're, you're, you're not like logging back in. It's just popping up right where you left off. And that can be a, a, a huge convenience factor for VMs. It's like Han Solo in the Carbonite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I think for mine, I, I would say that they probably get logged out because I just revert back to a clean state because for any of the stuff that I do, once the report is done for Trace Labs, there's no need for me to to keep any of the any of the traces on my VM. There's no need for me to retain any information once that report is done and out. And so I just revert, and then I don't have any of that uh, inf investigation information uh, on my system anymore. When I was doing mine, it was. Um... It, was, it wasn't even on a VM. We had like dedicated machines that were specifically for investigative purposes. And we would just leave it on because, you know, we'd have browsers and email addresses and all and, and phone numbers and things like that that were all attached to that device or devices. And so since they that device wasn't used for anything else other than that investigative purpose and that use case, then um, there was no really no need to, uh, to log out of anything. I saw another question in the chat that I think would be interesting unpacking. Um, one person asked for us to um, kind of talk more about what exactly is a user agent and why is it valuable um, when setting up your SOC and why something you should consider, I guess. Oh yeah, definitely. Willyong, do you wanna spearhead that one? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm just like afraid of going in too technical on this. Um, okay, so basically, when you visit a website, your browser sends information to the web server. So for example, like Facebook, and uh, Facebook will unpack that information and it, it holds like a whole bunch of stuff and user agent is one of them. So what user agent is used for is to uh, inform the web server what um, browser yeah, uh, what browser you're on. Um, why is this useful for websites? Is that because um, how Safari renders a website and how Chrome or IE uh, renders a website, uh, it's some of the stuff is different and it might break. Might, something might load on Chrome properly, might break on uh, Internet Explorer. Yeah. So, uh, if they know that there are such stuff that might get broken, once they identify the browser using the user agent, um, then 
uh, it will load the website according to which browser you're using. So that's, uh, I think that's traditionally how developers use user agents. If you're developing websites and stuff, one of the things, uh, one of the ways you use it, but uh, yeah, with social media, uh, it's being used to track your activities. Uh, if they detect that you're using Chrome, uh, there are certain types of trackers that they push into Chrome and uh, versus like Internet Explorer, Safari, etc. And uh, And for the use of user agent and a mobile proxy, uh, because when Facebook gets your IP address, it maybe sees like Verizon or AT&T IP address. And then if it checks the user agent after that, and it sees uh, oh Chrome browser on Windows 10. And then they'll be like, oh, is this guy on like a hotspot? Or is this something suspicious? Uh, yeah, that, that might not be the best example, but uh, that's what I can come up with um, off the bat. Yeah, so what, what you wanna do is to not let uh, social media websites, like uh, social media platforms like Facebook suspect. So if you have like an AT&T mobile IP address, uh, you probably would want to have like a Chrome browser from iOS 14, for example. Yeah, and it sort of like then fits the story and then it reduces the possibility of you being checked uh, by the social media platform, let's say. Yeah, so maybe the rest of guys can chime in on this. Are there dedicated tools you can use to manipulate that user agent information? Like how do you actually go about um, sending different user agent info from what's actually being used? Uh, okay, so I'm a big fan of Chrome. So most of my stuff uh, are using Chrome extensions. There's a whole suite of uh, user agent Chrome extensions um, in, the store. So uh, just do a quick search on user agent and pick the one that uh, fits you the best. Uh, they all work more or less the same. Uh, it's just like how you navigate through the um, things. And uh, I would say that if you are writing like a Python script or something, uh, it's something to think about. If you are planning to like automate, uh, like scraping and stuff, yeah, user agent in the hater is very, very important. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, you know, people have talked a lot in this, in this chat about using VPNs, not using VPNs. And it seems like the more you try to spoof your IP or your location or anything like that, the more flags it raises. And like while Young mentioned, if you're using Python scripts and automating things, your user agent, when you make a request to a site, will change if, if the script you're using is, is like cycling through user agents to prevent you know, um, your script from being blocked. But, you know, just from experience, I found that if I'm running a sock and then I also am using a lot of tools that change my user agent, you know, you know, to get rid of, um, you know, requests being blocked and things like that. I found that my, those socks seem, seem to get banned more often because I think I'm, I'm not sure 100% on this, but I think that since you're sending multiple requests to that web page from different user agents, and then the, those user agents don't match the one that you use to create or use your uh, sock puppet with on the platform itself. 
it may raise flags across the platform that you know you you might be a spam account or um, like Tom had mentioned a botnet of some variety. Very good. All right, we're coming up on the five minute mark. Is there anything else our panelists wanted to get to? Any burning questions in the chat? Anything that you would like to leave the audience with? If, if, if for some reason they just weren't paying attention for the last two hours? So it, it, when we run out of our five minute mark, Tom, uh, where can they continue the conversation with us? Where can they hit us up for questions? Ooh, plugs. I love, yes. I love, I love, to, I, I love to plug things. Um, in the context of everything we discussed here tonight, uh, you can learn more and meet some really cool people and a cool community in the Trace Lab Slack. My suspicion is a lot of the attendees are already there, um, but there is a dedicated sock puppet question channel. Um, myself, Alex, Elith are all very active in it, um, along with a lot of other really experienced people um, that can probably talk you through just about any question that you might have. Um, I'll toss it back over to the panelists. Any resources you all recommend? And plugging yourself is okay too. So any any uh, resources, trainings, websites? What, what do you all like? I, I honestly learn a stupid amount of information from Twitter and following all these amazing people that are in this panel and also involved with Trace Labs and a variety of other organizations who do OSINT and related things for a living. Um, check out the OSINT hashtag, but there are tons and tons of really valuable things out there in the Twitterverse. That's where I would start. And then find the, the people that speak most to you and uh, follow them and learn from them. Excellent. Jake, what do you think? Yeah, I 100% agree on Twitter. Like all of the latest and greatest research I found on there. Um, you could reach out to me on Twitter if you want to, if you have any follow-up questions, it's simple. It's just at Jake Kreps. I'm not using a sock or anything. Um, as far as trainings and things like that, we are hosting a, a parlor webinar next week. I think Adrian already shared that link. It's free. Um, I think we already have like over 500 or some registrations on it, but if you wanted to get a deeper dive into parlor and, and kind of get a jump on that platform from an OSINT perspective, you, you should check that out. As far as communities, I agree. The Trace Lab Slack is pretty great. Um, also OSINT.team is great. Um, there's a lot of people that are really willing to help, especially from like the technical OSINT side. Um, and then yeah, hashtag OSINT on Twitter is, is the spot though. That's where you need to be. Um, Weekend OSINT is a great newsletter by Sector35 that has the latest and greatest mm -hmm. news um, for, for OSINT. There's tons of stuff out there and you'll quickly find it if you spend enough time on Twitter. Very good. Alex, what do you think? I, I think you guys know that, you know, Trace Lab Slack is really where I spend a lot of my time. Um, and I get the same resources that have been mentioned that uh, we can OSINT, uh, any sort of OSINT news. We kind of have a, a OSINT news channel uh, in Trace Labs as well that you kind of drop things in there. Um, you know, I think it, it, it speaks well for the uh, reachability of this community as well. Uh, so there's a lot of areas that you might have questions and say, hey, how do I get started? And your question is kind of goes out into the void. Um, so both between uh, these individuals and the groups they've mentioned and then the Trace Lab Slack channel, you're going to get some sort of response pretty quickly. So if you're having difficulties with your sock puppets and you 
I can speak for the trace lab slack if you you're not going to go for very long without getting an answer in that trace lab slack. Um, you know, we're going to get you sorted in a in a couple days or so at most. For the record, uh, Alex does not speak for all of Trace Labs. The uh, views expressed here are his own and do not reflect. Are, 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 are my own? Okay. So when I say Trace Labs is awesome, uh, it's true, but you don't speak for them. <laughs> I don't speak for them. Okay. I would. I would also say volunteer to judge if you haven't uh, before. Volunteer to judge in the next search party with Trace Labs. I learned a ridiculous amount of cool things. Um, I had the opportunity to be the judge for a couple of winning teams before I competed myself. And that really, really helped me get a feel for how things should go. <laughs> Very good. Young, what do you think? Uh, I think like the resources mentioned like Twitter and some of the websites and chats. Uh, so like personally, I've just joined like the Trace Lab Slack like maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, and I have been reading the Slack channel every day because there's so much information uh, going through there. So uh, definitely one of the best resources that uh, you can get out there. Uh, and I, I would say that um, just make practicing OSIN your everyday life. Be very curious. Like if you read like a certain type of news and you're like, hmm, I, I wonder like who this person is. And I would really just spend like 15 minutes just trying to like uh, go through like my whole investigation process of trying to dig as deep as possible for like 15 minutes. Yeah, if not, I would end up in a rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, so I mean, if you keep doing that, uh, yeah, things will come naturally, uh, become second nature and yeah, you will end up finding more ways uh, of doing things through that. Excellent. Um, to wrap us up, I'm going to do my best to recap the last two hours of our lives. Again, just in case anyone wasn't paying attention. Um, my biggest takeaways from our conversation have been organization and planning, um, regardless of the, the purposes of your investigation. It all starts with planning. The more effort you put into that process, the easier everything's going to be as well as OPSEC. If you need OPSEC, you have to bake that in from the beginning. So that comes back to planning and organization. <clears throat> if, you hit a, if you hit obstacles with account creation, try to put yourselves in the shoes of the platform provider. Start trying to think like a Facebook engineer or, you know, or Twitter or any of these other platforms. Once you start looking at your, your activities from that point of view, you'll kind of be able to troubleshoot or you might know what questions to ask in the Slack channel. Um, and then don't overthink it. If you can get away with not having a picture, don't have a picture. If you can get away with not having friends, don't have friends. Um, and then, and then, you know, scale up based off of the needs of the platform and the needs of your investigation. Panelists, did I miss anything? Last call. I think we nailed it. <laughs> Boom, final thought for the win. <laughs> thank you everybody. Thank you to the panelists for taking two hours out of their night. Thank you to everyone that came here on a Friday night, a Saturday morning, um, depending on what time zone you're in. I appreciate all of you and I look forward to carrying on this conversation in the Slack channel.
Thank you. Thanks, everyone. This has been another episode of Breadcrumbs. If you'd like to learn more about the organization, you can find us at tracelabs.org. Find us on Twitter, at Tracelabs. But if you really want to find us, just follow the breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs.